Amen, amen. Well, good morning, Haynes Creek. Hope you're doing well today. My name is Travis, the pastor here. If this is your first time, I want to say a special welcome to you. We're thrilled and excited that you're here worshiping with us, and we would love a chance uh, to just reach out and say thank you for your visit. So if you can let me know that you're here, do that in a couple different ways. One is just to text the word welcome to that number. That's all you got to do, just text welcome to that number. Uh, or if you prefer, we have our welcome cards out here at our welcome table. As you exit the gym into the hallway, just look to your right. There's a table there with our welcome cards. Just fill that out leave it on the table. And like I said, it gives me a chance to reach out and thank you for your visit. And before we go any further, I have a special announcement to make. Uh, Some of you may already know this, but it is Johnny's birthday today. Johnny, our amazing worship leader. Give it up for Johnny. How old are you today, Johnny? 23. You are so young, man. Well, happy birthday, Johnny. Y'all make sure you give him, a, give him a hug. Give him 23 punches on the arm. Tell him happy birthday. Uh, we love you. Appreciate you. Happy birthday, Johnny. All right, so we're going to continue in our series where we've been in the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 18. So we're going to be starting off today. So we finished off Acts 17 last week where we saw Paul go into Athens and preach the gospel and share his faith with, with everybody in the marketplace, at the Areopagus, like everywhere he went, he was sharing the gospel. And we talked about what, what, what can we learn from Paul's example as we seek to share the gospel here today in 2022. So that's where we were Last week, at the end of 17, we see Paul leave, and in the beginning of chapter 18, we're going to see he picks back up his ministry in the city of Corinth. So that's where we're going to be today, looking at Paul's ministry in the city of Corinth, Acts chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, uh, feel free to follow along on the screen right here, or we have Bibles again at our welcome table out there. If you don't own a Bible, please take one of those. Consider that our gift to you. We'd love for you to to have one of those. And as we we get started, I don't know if this has happened to you before, but uh, but last night, uh, we, uh, my wife and I decided that we're going to you know, give the kids a quick dinner, get them in bed, and then we're going to go pick up some food for us. Just have like a nice little, little date night, a little peaceful dinner at home, which when you have three kids running around is a near impossibility unless you plan for it like that. So we're like, all right, let's get the kids in bed, and we'll just enjoy a nice little dinner. We were maybe going to pick up at a local restaurant, but then it got too late, and we were like, you know what? Let's just do the easiest thing, the best option out there. There's a Chick-fil-A right down our house. I mean, that's Jesus's chicken. Like, you can't go wrong with Chick-fil-A. Like, the Lord is blessed that. I mean, it's always good, right? You can always expect good food, good service at Chick-fil-A. You can't go wrong with Chick-fil-A. So we get Chick-fil-A. We come home. We're eating, enjoying a nice, again, peaceful conversation with dinner. I I reach into my box of fries. I put a fry in my mouth, and then all of a sudden, I feel it. It came with something extra, a hair. A hair. How many of y'all have had that happen? It's gross, right? I don't know what it is about hair, but hair is always disgusting. Always. I don't care if it's clean, if it's not, whatever. If it's mine, it's all gross. All right, it's all gross. It's all nasty. So I'm thinking, you know, I I have hair and it it sheds at times. It's probably one of mine. And I've got very dark hair, so it stands out. Pull it out. Nope, not one of mine. Not one of mine. Somebody else's hair. And it's just like, okay. Sometimes it's like you do that and it's like, man, I, I just, I can't do anymore. Like it's disappointing, right? You get that and it's like, oh, man. Now a lesser man would have put his food aside and not continued. But I pushed through, y'all. Your pastor is brave. I pushed through. I ate the rest of my food. Amen, right? Ben, Ben's with me. But it was a little disappointing, right? It's a little, a little bit of a letdown. And we have that happen in life. I know that's a silly example, but, but we go through life and we have disappointments. We have letdowns. We feel discouraged. You know, sometimes just in the course of life and all that it requires and all that it demands, man, it can just, it can wear you down and you feel tired you feel worn down, you feel just exhausted with life sometimes, discouraged, and you need, you need somebody to, to pick you up. You need some encouragement. You need somebody to, to lift your spirits, right? 
Well, that's what we see in Acts chapter 18. So starting in verse 1, it says this. After this, he left Athens and went to Corinth, where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them, and since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. When they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his clothes and told them, Your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord along with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. Verse 9, the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent, for I am with you and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in this city. He stayed there a year and a half teaching the word of God among them. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack against Paul and brought him to the tribunal. This man, they said, is persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. As Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or a serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you Jews. But if these are questions about words, names, and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of such things. So he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But none of these things mattered to Gallio. Verse 18. After some time, Paul said farewell to the brothers and sisters and sailed away to Syria. Accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila, he shaved his head at Cancrea because of a vow he had taken. When they reached Ephesus, he left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and debated with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he declined, but he said farewell and added, I'll come back to you soon again if God wills. Then he set sail from Ephesus. On landing at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he set out, traveling through one place after another in the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. All right, so uh, I don't know. I'm going to put Blake on the spot back there, but do we have that map that we've been using? Look, he's, he's awesome, y'all. Blake's the man. Well done, Blake. All right, so we, we left verse, or chapter 17. He's in Athens, and here in chapter 18, he travels 50 miles west to the city of Corinth. City of Corinth. And Corinth at this time was the largest city in modern-day Greece. It was one of the largest cities in the entire Roman Empire. So there's a lot going on. It's a wealthy city. As you can see, it's, it's on uh, some, some water there. So it's, a, it's an important port city that kind of bridged the gap between the west side of Greece and the Adriatic Sea to the east side of Greece in the Aegean Sea. So it was a big deal. There's a lot happening there, a lot of commerce, a lot of business, wealthy city. Another thing about Corinthian, uh, for, uh, about Corinth is that it was a city known for its sexual immorality. It was known across the Roman Empire as this is an immoral place. There was this phrase that people would use when they wanted to comment on how immoral your lifestyle was. They would say, you're living like a Corinthian. That meant, man, you are so far gone. Like the line was back here and you blew past that. That's how bad and immoral you are living right now. So Corinth is known for its sin. It's like the Las Vegas of the Roman Empire here. So that's where Paul comes. That's where the Lord brings him. And Paul plants one of the most well-known churches that, that we have, right? We've got two of his letters written to this church in our New Testament, First and Second Corinthians. 
We, we read and see about this church a lot. It's in Corinth where, where Paul connects with, with Aquila and Priscilla, some of his lifelong ministry partners. We're going to see them creep up in Acts. We're going to see them creep up in other places in the New Testament. And it's here in Corinth where, where Paul spent over a year and a half. That's the longest he has spent in any city so far in his two missionary journeys. Over a year and a half here in Corinth. And then as we, we see what, what happens at the end of his ministry there, after several months, a year and a half, more than that, he, he leaves. He goes to the other port city in Cancrea. You can kind of see that down there in the, in the middle to the left of the map. It says that he shaves his head there for a vow. Look, I'll be honest with you, nobody knows what that means. We have no idea. But there was this Jewish practice where either at the end of a vow or at the beginning of a vow, you would shave your head. So it could be out of thankfulness, could be out of worship, could be out of some sort of way that he's renewing his dedication to the Lord. It could be any number of those things or more that we don't know about. So we don't know what that means, but that's what's going on there. So he does that in Cancrea, sails back over to modern-day Turkey in Ephesus, spends a little bit of time there, makes his way back down to Caesarea, to Jerusalem, back up to Antioch. And he spends some time in Antioch, and then as he's resting there, he, he gets sent back out on his third missionary journey, traveling the same places that we've seen him go now two other times. So that's what's going on here in chapter 18, but the main focus is Paul's ministry in Corinth. So that's where I want to focus our time today. And his time in Corinth starts out just like every other place that we've seen, right? When Paul gets to a new city, the first thing he does is, man, I'm going to go to the synagogue. I'm going to preach to the Jews. I'm going to preach the gospel to the Jewish people. Well, he always does that. And then what happens? Eventually, he gets opposition, right? Eventually, the Jews, they're like, nope, don't want to hear about this anymore. And they oppose Paul. And he's like, all right, I'm, I'm done with you guys. I'm going to focus now on the Gentiles. And that's the same thing that happens in Corinth. He preaches at the synagogue. There's opposition. He's like, all right, fine. I'm, I'm going to move on to the Gentiles. And then in every other city so far, up to this point, he's faced more opposition and eventually gets driven out of the city. So once Paul meets this continued opposition, continued resistance, he eventually moves on. But he stays in Corinth. And he stays here longer than any other place. Why is that? Why is that? It's because of Jesus. It's because in verses 9 and 10, Jesus says, I want you to stay. I want you to keep going here. Don't, don't worry about the opposition. Don't be scared of that. I want you to stay here. So Paul does. And look, what we can learn from this is most likely in this moment where Jesus speaks that encouragement to him, Paul was really down. He was really discouraged. I mean, just, just think about what we've seen so far just on this second missionary journey. He gets to Philippi and is beaten and wrongfully imprisoned in Philippi. And then he, he goes down to Thessalonica and is run out of the city under threat by the Jews there. Well, then he goes to Berea, and guess what happens? The Jews from Thessalonica follow him to Berea and do the same thing there, and he gets pushed out of that city. And then he goes down to Athens, this, this, this city that is just kind of soaked in, in their, their idolatry and sin, and, and Paul preaches his heart out. He's sharing the gospel with everybody. But I mean, from what we can tell on paper, at least, there's very little ministry success. We don't hear about a church being planted. We only get mention of a couple of people who put their faith in Jesus. And, and most of what we see in Athens is that Paul is ridiculed. He's mocked. There's this just vast indifference to the gospel. Well, then he makes his way to Corinth. And there's more of the same. Like, Paul must have been discouraged. And here's the thing. Like, like Jesus is the one that brought him to these places. If you remember back at the beginning of chapter 16, Paul wanted to go and minister in Asia. He wanted to minister in Bithynia. And Jesus said, nope, don't want you to do that. I want you to go to Macedonia. 
I want you to go to Macedonia. And I'm sure if I, if I was Paul, I'd be like, oh man, well, Jesus, Jesus must be really at work in Macedonia. Like there must just be some fertile ground there for the gospel. This is going to be awesome. He goes there and, and this is what he finds just to deal with all of this stuff. Like he must have been discouraged. And Jesus meets him in this discouraged state and he speaks life into him. He encourages Paul. And Paul responds and commits and stays there in the city a year and a half in this crazy, wild, sin-filled city. Paul spends the most time there. And look, maybe some of you are, are here today. You came in, maybe you had to kind of drag yourself to church a little bit, and you're just, you're just feeling the weight of life. You're feeling the weight of life. Maybe you're feeling a little discouraged, a little run down. Maybe a, a little disappointed frustrated with how life is going right now. Maybe you feel like, man, Jesus, you're calling me to do these things, and I'm just, I can't even see your, your hand at work here. Like, what are you doing? Seems like the only place you brought me to is just perpetual suffering. Like, what's going on, Lord? Like, maybe some of us are feeling that way, and we need some encouragement. We need somebody to, to lift us up. That's exactly what Jesus's words do. So I want us to focus in on verses 9 and 10 and look at the encouragement that Jesus gives Paul and us today and what we can learn from this. So four ways that Jesus encourages Paul here from this passage. First way, number one, if you're taking notes. Number one, first thing he says is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Look at verse nine. Look at verse nine. The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent. First thing he says is don't be afraid. And, and the way this is written is it's a command. Jesus commands Paul, don't be afraid. This is a command that, that is repeated often throughout the Old and New Testaments. We see this coming a, a lot of different ways from God at a lot of different times to a lot of different people. Don't be afraid. One of the most repeated commands in all of Scripture. And it's a timely word for Paul because, because he was scared. He was scared. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, he writes this. He writes this to the Corinthian people. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. That's how we came to Corinth. In weakness, in fear, much trembling. Paul was scared. He was scared. He, he was afraid. And for good reason, right? Like he sees the opposition creeping up. He's already run out of the synagogue. And he knows, man, this is not going to stop. The, the opposition is only going to get more and, and, and more and more frequent and, and harder. It's going it, 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 to get bad. He knows that this is coming. So why does Jesus start here? Why does Jesus start with, with don't be afraid? Why is that such an often repeated command in Scripture? It's because God knows that we're, we're fearful people. We're scared. We're fearful people, and, and here's the thing about fear. Fear is paralyzing. Fear is paralyzing. It prevents us from doing things. As I was you know, just kind of looking up some stuff about, about this, and I just Googled, like, hey, what, what are the top fears that people have? And they're very common. Like, what would we typically think? You know, fear of heights or fear of tight spaces, claustrophobic, fear of any number of different types of bugs and insects and spiders and snakes. And it's like, okay, that makes sense. I get that. A fear of public speaking is a big one, like getting put in front of people. Like, maybe some of y'all feel that. Or fear of flying, feel of any sort of number of different social environments and circumstances and things like that. Like, there's, there's a lot of fear. We have a lot of fear. There, I mean, there's, there's names for all of this, some that I can't even pronounce, and there, there's so many of them, right? Like, we have, a, we have a category for all different types of fear. 
Well, for me, my, my biggest one is fear of heights. I don't know if you guys are like that, if you feel me on that. Fear of heights. I do not like heights. It's not fun for me. And when my fear of heights prevents me from doing certain things in life. Like, it prevents me from getting on tall ladders. Don't like it. So guess what happens when we need to hang the Christmas lights at the peak of our roof? I'm not up there. My wife is. All right, you guys can say what you want to, but I'm not getting up there, all right? I'm terrified. It's not good for me. Or I talk my neighbor into doing it. One of those two things, but it's definitely not going to be me. Another thing that prevents me from doing it, I have friends and family who've gone skydiving. Guess what I'm never doing in my life? Going skydiving. Willingly throwing myself out of a plane thousands of feet above the ground? No thanks, I'm good. I'm good. There's no need for that. One of the things my my wife has talked about wanting to do is going up in a hot air balloon. Again, something I will never do. Or if I do, I'm going to be curled up in the fetal position in the corner. Because look, it's a wicker basket held up by a flame and a balloon. That's the only thing preventing you from falling to your death. Like, no, why would I do that? Who does that? So my fear prevents me from doing things. And this this is what fear does. Like, whatever our fears are in life, it paralyzes us. It stops us from doing certain things. And look, we, we bring fear into our relationship with Jesus all the time. All the time. Fear prevents us from following Jesus sometimes. You know, maybe, maybe it's a fear of rejection or a fear of failure. Like God's calling you something. You're like, man, I just, I don't, I don't know how that's going to work out. I don't know. Maybe it, it's fear of the unknown. Like I know Jesus, you're, you're calling me to this, but like I don't, I, don't, I don't know what the future holds. Like that's scary, right? So maybe it prevents us from that. Maybe it's fear of man. It's fear of other people. Like, I don't want to follow Jesus. I don't want to do this thing that I know he's called me to do because I'm scared of what other people might say or think or how they might talk about me behind my back. So I'm just not going to do it. See, fear prevents us from following Jesus all the time. All the time. So how do we combat that? And again, this is, a, this is an often repeated command throughout Scripture. Do not be afraid. Don't be scared. Don't, no more fear, right? Like, how do we, how do, we do that? There's two ways that we can combat fear and live for Jesus. The first way is we remember what God has done. We remember what God has done. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 17 through 19 says this. If you say to yourself, these nations are greater than I, how can I drive them out? Do not be afraid of them. Be sure to remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh in all Egypt. The great trials that you saw, the signs and wonders, the strong hand and outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all the peoples you fear. And the book of Deuteronomy is all about remembering who God is and what he's done. See, this this new generation of Israelites needs to be reminded of what God has done in their lives, how he's brought them out of Egypt, how he's led them to the edge of the promised land. And here's this nation, this this nation of Israelites that are on the edge of the promised land, and all they see before them are a bunch of nations bigger and stronger than them, and they're scared. And how does God help them with their fear? He says, remember what I've done. Remember what I've done. Remember how I brought you out of Egypt, the the most powerful nation. Remember all the signs and wonders and miracles that I've done. Remember what I've done for you. So we we fight fear by remembering what God has done. Psalm 105, verses 1 through 5 says this. says, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Proclaim his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell about all his wondrous works. Boast in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Verse 5, remember the wondrous works he has done. His wonders and the judgments he has pronounced. Look, this is why why singing and this is why worship is so important. 
Because it, it's a different way to preach the, the truth of God to ourselves, preach the gospel to ourselves. Through, through singing of God's works, it reminds us all that he's done. And by remembering, by singing praise to him, by giving thanks to him, we remember all that he's done in our lives, and our fears can slip away. So we remember what God has done. Second, we remember who God is. We remember who God is. There's this, this story in the Gospels that I, I love, and it's, it's when Jesus' disciples were, were just absolutely terrified and scared for their lives. Uh, one of the, the retellings of it is in Mark chapter 4, starting verse 35. It says this, On that day when evening had come, he told them, this is Jesus, Jesus told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. And I love this story because look, Jesus is on a boat with his disciples and some of these guys are career fishermen and they've, they've lived their lives on the water. So when it says that they're scared for their lives, like this storm was a really bad storm. Like they really, this is not just some normal little rainstorm or anything like that. This is really bad. They thought they were about to die, and where's Jesus? He's asleep in the bottom of the boat. He's sleeping there, and they wake him up, and he's like, what? What do you want? What's going on? He's like, we're about to die! And I love Jesus just so calm. Like, I'm not just kind of like stretching, like, oh, all right, fine. I got this. Don't worry, guys. Chill out. Walks outside. He's like, stop. Hey, Storm, chill out. Relax a little bit. And it stops. It stops, and his disciples are like, well, who is this guy? Who is this guy that even the, the seas obey him? And that's who our God is. That's who Jesus is. He is more powerful. He is greater than any storm life throws at us. That's who Jesus is. We need to remind ourselves of who our God is. Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 through 18 say this, and as John is writing the book of Revelation, it starts out with him seeing Jesus in his fully glorified state. He sees Jesus for who he truly and really is in this moment as he's reigning over all of creation. And this is John's reaction. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last, and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. You know, this is who our God is. This is who our God is, first and last, alive forevermore, greater than death itself. That's who Jesus is. That's who we need to remind ourselves of when we, when we face the fears of life. We need to take our fears and we need to bring them into the light of who God is and what he's done. And y'all, I'm telling you, when we compare what we're scared of to who Jesus is, our fears are going to shrink away. They're going to shrink away because our God is so much bigger and more powerful than all of our fears, than anything we could be ever scared of. Jesus is greater and bigger than all of that. 
So remember who he is, remember what he's done, and don't be afraid. Number two, how does he continue to encourage Paul here? First, don't be afraid. Second, he tells him to keep going. Look again at verse 9. Again at verse 9, it says, don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent. That's another command there. Keep on speaking. Keep on preaching. Don't be quiet. Keep on sharing the gospel. Keep ministering. Keep serving. Jesus calls Paul here to persevere to keep going, to continue on in the work. Look, fear wants to stop us. Remember, fear wants to paralyze us. It wants to prevent us from following Jesus, prevent us from doing anything. He wants, fear wants to stop us. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, but keep on going. Keep on going. Don't stop. Keep following hard after him. Keep serving. Keep ministering. Keep doing the things that I've called you to do. Don't give in to fear. Don't give up. Don't let anything else get in the way of what Jesus wants to accomplish through you. That's the message here. That's what Jesus is saying to us. And look, you might, you might hear me say that. You might hear me say, keep going. You might hear Jesus say, keep on going. And you might just be like, man, I can't. I can't, Jesus. I got nothing left. I can't. I can't keep going. Again, you, you may be here and you may be just tired and worn down and exhausted by, by life and, and all that you're dealing with. You may come here today and you just feel weak. And can I, can I confess something to y'all? I feel weak too. I feel weak and tired. I mean, the stuff that we've been walking through it, the last couple of weeks, the last couple of months, it, it, it's exhausting. It's wearing on me. I feel tired. I feel weak. I mean, just in a moment of vulnerability before your church family, anybody else would want to confess that today? Just, I feel weak. I feel tired. Anybody here willing to admit that? And thank you for your courage. Yeah, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Look, Paul was weak here. We already read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, that he, that he came in fear and in trembling, but he also came in weakness. He came in weakness. And look, here's the message from Jesus. Jesus doesn't want us to just kind of push aside our weaknesses, push aside the weight. that we, He doesn't just want us to ignore that and just pretend like we're not struggling with that. He doesn't want us to just pretend like, oh, we're really strong and, and we're really brave and just put on a brave face and just keep going, Travis. Just, just be strong and you're like, that's not the message here. The message here is Jesus wants us to embrace our weaknesses. He wants us to embrace our weakness. Look at what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Starting in verse 6, it says, For if I want to boast, I wouldn't be a fool, because I would be telling the truth. But I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary, extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would not leave me that it would leave me, sorry, that three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's in our weaknesses 
that Jesus' power is made perfect. That phrase, made perfect, means to bring to completion or, or used to accomplish a purpose. See, God works in us the most when we are most weak. It's when we're weak that we realize just how much we need Jesus. Just how much we actually and truly rely on him every moment of the day. See, Jesus, when we feel strong in ourselves, when I feel like, man, I got this, I don't need any help, I don't need Jesus, what, what, he's not going to work in me. Because it's all about me. It's all about my strength. It's all about what I can do. It's not about what he can do. It's not about his power. It's not about his greatness. It's not about his grace and mercy in my life. It's about me. See, our weaknesses, when we, when we embrace our weaknesses, it forces us to rely on Jesus all the more, and that's when he works in us the most. So don't pretend like we're not weak. Let's not pretend like we're not struggling or we're not walking through hardships. Jesus doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to bring all of that to him and rely on him all the more. Yield all the more to the Spirit's work in our lives. That's what he wants from us to trust him and rely on him to keep going, to rely on his strength and his might, not our own. See, because when we do that, when we're weak and God works in us, man, he gets all the glory at that point. It's, again, it's all about him. Because when we embrace our weaknesses, when we know, man, Travis, you, I, I, don't, I, got, I don't got it. I don't got it. I'm weak. I'm scared. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed. And I bring that to Jesus, and he works in me. And then it's like, that wasn't me. That was all Jesus. He gets all the glory. He gets all the credit. That's what this is about. It, it's, it's bringing our weaknesses to him and relying on him, relying on his strength to, for us to keep going. It's not just to you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, rely on your own strength, rely on your own might. That's not the message. The message is, is you're weak. You're weak. And you need Jesus to strengthen you. You need Jesus' strength and might in your life to keep going. So don't be afraid. Keep going. Number three. Third way Jesus encourages Paul is to remind him that Jesus is with him. Jesus is with you. Look at verse 10. So Jesus said to him, don't be afraid. Keep on going. Verse 10. For I am with you. And no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in this city. So Jesus' message here is, is, I'm with you, Paul. I'm with you. And Jesus tells us the same thing, that, that he is with us. So why, why, can I, why am I able to, to cast out fear? Why am I able to, to keep persevering no matter what hardships may come? Why, why am I able to do that? It's because Jesus is with us. He's with us. This is the same thing that he, that he tells his disciples at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, verse 20, where he gives the great commission. Before he ascends, he says, go into all the nations and make disciples, baptize, teach everybody, make disciples. And how are they able to do this huge, enormous, big task? How are we able to do that big, enormous task? Verse 20, for I am with you always until the end of the age. Jesus is with us. And look, when you look at that in the original language, there's emphasis there. Jesus repeats himself. He says, I, I am with you. I'm with you. It's me, Jesus. I'm with you. Jesus, the creator of everything and everyone, the all-powerful, all-knowing God and Savior, your redeemer, your forgiver, your, your source of life. I am with you. And I'm with you all the time, everywhere you go. 
The good moments, the bad moments, I'm with you. The ups of life, the downs of life, I am with you. Our successes, our failures, our mistakes, he is with us. He's always with us. He never leaves us or forsakes us or turns his back on us. He never forgets about us. He is with us. I mean, this had to be an encouragement for Paul. See, what Jesus is doing here, Jesus is saying, look, Paul, Paul, I see you. I see you. I, I see your struggles, man. I see that you're weak. I see that you're scared. I see that you're tired. I see that. I see you, Paul. And now, Paul, what I want you to do is I want you to see me. I want you to see me. Get your eyes off of all the stuff all the junk, all of the hardships, all of the failures, all of the fear. Get your eyes off of that and on me. I'm right here with you. I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here with you. And some of us need, need to hear that today. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Get our, get our eyes and our focus off the struggles, off the difficulties, off the weariness, off the brokenness, off the pain, off the grief, whatever we're walking through, and fix our eyes on Jesus. Bring all of that to him. Look to him to guide us, to lead us, to, to bring us through, to carry us through whatever we're walking through, because he does. He's always right there. Look, Jesus doesn't just tell Paul that, that, that he's with him. He promises Paul protection. He says, no one's going to hurt you or harm you in this city. And look, that's exactly what happened, right? Like, like the Jews brought him before the tribunal, and Paul's seen this play out before. He's either thrown out of the city, or he's stoned, or he's arrested and beaten, or whatever. Like, he knows, man, this is bad. This is bad. But, but th- that doesn't happen, right? God protects him. God gives them this promise of protection in Corinth. And look, we know, we know from what we've seen and we know from what we're going to see, that wasn't always the case for Paul. In fact, that was almost never the case for Paul. Like Paul is, is continually facing physical harm just for following Jesus. He's constantly under threat of that. So this was a specific promise at a specific time in a specific place for Paul. Because look, the reality for us today is that following Jesus doesn't always come with a promise of earthly safety. It doesn't always come with a promise of earthly safety. This wasn't true for Paul. This wasn't true for people in the Old Testament. I mean, go, go remind ourselves of Job's story, right? Like, following God led to a lot of harm for him. The 12 apostles, the 12 apostles all died in various ways for their faith in Jesus. This is the story of countless martyrs all throughout church history. This is the case for Jesus himself. Jesus didn't have the promise of earthly safety while he was here. No, he faced a lot of harm, a lot of threats. So Jesus, following Jesus doesn't come with a promise of eternal, or for, for earthly safety. So Jesus promise, doesn't promise us earthly safety, but he does promise us eternal security. He promises us eternal security. He promises us that that our suffering here, our hardships here, our weariness here has an expiration date. It will not last. If we have our faith in him, if we put our trust in him, this this is the closest to hell we will ever get. He doesn't promise us earthly safety, but he does promise us eternal security. We have the promise of eternal life with him. 
that although we may face many troubles and hardships in this life, we have all of eternity to look to in complete perfection. No more difficulty, no more pain, no more weariness, no more discouragement, no more loss, no more grief, no more sin, no more evil, no more brokenness. For all of eternity, that is our guarantee. That's our guarantee. We may not always be safe here, but we are always secure in Jesus. That's our guarantee. That's what we can hold tightly to. So we need to ask ourselves, do I require a promise of earthly safety to follow Jesus? Am I going to throw in the towel as soon as things get hard? Because they will. They will. They will get difficult. So how, how do we respond in that moment? Again, let's focus on Jesus. Let's focus on his promise, his guarantee of eternal security with him. All right, so Jesus tells Paul and us to not be afraid, to keep going, that he is with us. And number four, our last point, to remember Jesus is always at work. Fourth way he encourages Paul is to remind him that he is at work. Look again at verse 10. Look again at verse 10. For I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in this city. I have many people in this city. So Jesus wanted Paul to put away his fear and to keep ministering, right? Like, keep going, keep ministering. And look, I'm sure, again, that was probably frustrating for Paul to hear. Like, really, Jesus? Like, really, I got to stay here, probably get beaten, probably get arrested, probably get thrown out of the city. Like, really, I, I, I got to stay here? What, what's going on with that? Remember, he, he, he's discouraged, right? He just came from very little ministry fruit in Athens, and now he's in a more sinful city in Corinth where he's already facing mounting opposition. Like, you got to remember, he is discouraged here, and Jesus wants him to keep preaching and keep going and to stay here. I'm sure Paul was like, like really? Really, bro? Like, why? What? Really? Why I got to do that? What's up with that? And in order to help him, Jesus pulls back the curtain for Paul. It kind of shows Paul a glimpse of what's really going on behind the scenes. Jesus says, hey, I want you to, to put away your fear. I want you to keep going. And why is that? Because I've got many people in this city. And what that means is Jesus just told Paul, I've got a whole bunch of people that I want to save in this city, and I'm going to use you to do it. So stay put. Keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Keep preaching the gospel. Keep sharing truth. I got this. All right? I am at work. And look, we need this reminder at times, right? I don't know about you, but like sometimes following Jesus like can seem fruitless. Like sometimes it feels like we take a step forward just to take like eight or nine backwards, right? Like some of us in here, I know, like we're, we're, I mean, we're, we're, we're seeking to love Jesus. We're seeking to live for him. We're, we're trying to trust the Holy Spirit in, in every facet of life. I mean, these the, the certain sins, like they just keep creeping up. And maybe there's been moments of victory over that, but it's just, man, it just carries back up, and I fall right back into that. No matter how much I, I don't want to live that way, I don't want to do that anymore, I just, sometimes I, I just keep going back to that. It's like, again, I take a couple, this is what Paul writes in, in Romans chapter 7, right? I, like, I do the things that I don't want to do. I, we don't, I don't want to do that, but, but, but I find myself going back to that. Or, or maybe, man, it's like I got this person in my life that I've talked with Jesus about. I've shared the gospel with them. I, I've invited them to church, and, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'll come. And then I get a text that morning. Sorry, you can't make it. Something came up. It's like every time. I got to keep going. I got to keep loving that person. I got to keep talking with them about Jesus. Like it just seems like I'm hitting a brick wall after brick wall. Lord, like why? 
or maybe again, maybe this only happens to me, but it's like a, a, as a dad, like I want to, I want to love my kids. I want to, I want to disciple them. I want to teach them about Jesus. So, so what do we do at night? Like I, I gather the kids around. We, we open up the Bible. I try to read the Bible and teach with them about Jesus. And it's in that moment that my three kids decide now is the time to burn the house down. It's like really, y'all. I'm trying to follow Jesus here. Don't y'all see? I'm trying to teach you about Jesus. Why are you climbing up the walls? Get off of there. What are you doing? And it's like, yeah, now I got to go right back to that tomorrow night, Lord? I got to step right back into that chaos again because this is what you've called me to do as a parent? Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, sometimes it can seem fruitless. It can seem like our wheels are just spinning. Like, we're not really seeing much growth or activity But we need to remind ourselves in those moments that Jesus is always at work. He's always at work. Even when we can't see the results, even when we can't see what's going on, even when we can't see the growth, even when we can't see what's coming down the road like like Paul did here, even when we can't see that, we can know and trust and be certain that God is at work, that he always accomplishes his purpose. Paul writes this in in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, that phrase means, man, keep following Jesus. Keep doing the things that he's called you to do. Keep doing that. Why? Verse 13. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. God is at work. He is at work in us and through us even when we can't see it. He is always working. He writes this just a few verses later in Philippians 4.13. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. And look, that's not just a motto for professional athletes out there to take out of context. right? That, that's not what this verse is meant for. You look at that in context, you see what Paul is talking about is the suffering that he's walking through. He's in prison as he writes those words. He's saying, man, I don't, I don't got much. I don't got much, but I, but I can be content. And why is that? It's because Christ strengthens me. It's because all I have, what I, all that I need, I have in Jesus. It's him working in me. It's him who strengthens me. He's at work. He's at work in us and through us. So the call here is to keep your eyes focused on him and what he's called you to do and trust him with the results. That's the same thing we saw last week about evangelism. Our, our job, what God has asked us to do, is to share the gospel, is to talk about Jesus. It's his job to save. It's his job to work out the results. Our job is just to be faithful with what he's called us to do. It's the same thing here. Be faithful to the role that he has called you to and trust him with the results. Paul writes this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting verse 5. He says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. The Lord has called us to fulfill a role. He's called us to live faithfully for him. So when we feel down, when we feel discouraged, when we feel like, man, I just, I don't got anything left, what are we supposed to do? We fulfill our role. 
we do what the Lord has called us to do. We ask ourselves, what does it look like to faithfully follow Jesus right here, right now? Even if I can't see him at work, even if I can't see the results, even if I don't know what's coming, I stay faithful to him right here, right now. And look, the reality is some of us are are called to plant. Some of us are called to water. We all have a role, and it's God's job to bring the growth. He brings the results. Our job is just to trust him and be faithful wherever he has us. Let's remind ourselves that Jesus is always at work. And look, if you're you're here, again, if you're here and, and you're struggling with life, you're discouraged, maybe you're scared of something, you're worn out, you're tired, you're just weary, you're in good company. You're in good company. Paul was exactly that when he came to Corinth. And it's in his weakness and in his fear that Jesus worked. That Jesus worked and he brought salvation and planted this new church in this city that no one would have ever thought was possible. Man, there's so much sin here. There's so much darkness here. And Jesus brings his light to overcome that darkness. And he uses a weak, scared, and tired Paul to do it. And he wants to work in us too. He wants to work in us So let's be encouraged by these words just like Paul was. Let's not be afraid. Let's remind ourselves who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Let's persevere. Let's keep going. Let's keep following. Let's keep serving. Let's keep ministering. Let's keep fulfilling the role that he has called us to. Let's, Let's embrace our weaknesses and trust in and rely on his strength. Let's look to his presence. Let's trust in him to work all things according to his good, his glory, his purpose. In the moment, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to step into a time like we do every Sunday, a time of communion. It's a time of worship for us that have trusted in Jesus. You put your faith in Jesus. This is a time for us to do exactly what we've talked about here, to get our eyes off of what's going on in life, all the ways Satan wants to distract us and lead us astray, and let's refocus on Jesus. The point of communion is this beautiful moment to do a couple of things. One, remember who he is and what he's done, right? Remember what God has done for us, that he gave his life for us, that he broke his body, he shed his blood for us, for our sins, to find forgiveness and salvation. The other thing communion does is it reminds us of Jesus' presence right here with us. The word often used for communion in the New Testament is this, this word that, that means fellowship. That's why we call it communion, because we're communing with Jesus in that moment. He is with us. And as we take the bread and we drink the cup, we remember that he's with us. We remember his presence and let that truth encourage us today, church. So I'm going to pray. The band's going to come. They're going to lead us in worship. And I would just encourage you, as we do each week, spend some time in prayer, in worship, in silence before the Lord. Prepare your hearts. As you are ready, you go to either side of the room. We take the bread. We take the cup. We remember who Jesus is. We remember what he's done. And we worship in his presence. If you're here and and you don't know Jesus, this time is not for you. And this is a time for believers to recognize what God has done. But I want to encourage you that that today can be the day of your salvation. The Lord's call is open to all who would hear and respond in faith. So if you're here, you've never put your faith in Jesus, and you want to do that, 
and I'll, I'll be hanging out in the back. I'd love to talk with you, answer any questions, pray with you, and let's talk about Jesus. If you're here and, and you are one of those that, that like me, just, just weighed down, feeling tired, maybe scared a little bit, whatever's going on, I want you to know that I, I'm your pastor. As your pastor, I, I love you. I care about you. I want to pray for you. So if you need some prayer, if you need some support, I'll, I'll be back there. Love to talk and pray and whatever you need, I'm here to serve you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for, Lord, your presence. I thank you for that, Lord. That you are not distant and far off, but that you are right here with us, Lord. Whether it's gathering together as your body, or as I'm alone driving to work, or at the dinner table with the family, Lord, you are with us. So just let us look to you. Let us be revived by you, Jesus. As Psalm 85 calls, Lord, Lord, this is this cry to revive us again, Lord. We need that. We need your life, your strength in us. Let us not try to rely on our own, to do it just in our might, just not to, to try more, Lord. That, that's not the gospel. The gospel is, is we can't, so you did, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving your life for ours, Jesus. I pray, Lord, would you encourage us by your spirit today. Lord, let us walk faithfully with you in all ways and all things, Lord. We love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.